What's up? This is Aleko Eskandarian, and you're listening to the RFK Refugees Podcast. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, RFK Refugees Podcast. Ted here, John here. We are here in Richmond. No, not Richmond, Virginia. John's in Fredericksburg. I'm in Richmond. I'm never uh, in Richmond. Uh, we are currently quarantined in our house, trying to make the best of it. Try missing soccer. Apparently, we might get some Bundesliga soon, which which would be nice, I guess. But uh, no, no, none of the soccer that you know we spend our time and our energy watching. Much much to our, um, each of our wives' bewilderment. Uh, yeah, John, how you doing, man? How, how you been? Pretty good, pretty good. I wouldn't say to my wife's bewilderment. I think she, <laughs> until her approach is like seven hours consecutively, I think she's got a very wide tolerance for it. I think it's when it when it gets to that point, then it's then it's bewilderment. Up to that point, I think it's it's mutual interest. I guess I guess my wife is the same way. She she goes with me to to Richmond Kickers games. She gets into it. She goes with me to DC games. There the, there is. I feel like there is a breaking point uh, where it's it's. <laughs> yeah. there, there's always a breaking point. <laughs> um, That's true. But uh, but yeah, here we are talking uh, talking soccer, talking what we can about soccer. There's no soccer to watch, uh, but uh, we do have some news to get into. Uh, let's let's start let's start with the team we cover the the main the main focus of our of of this podcast, which is DC United. Uh, Chris Durkin, um, I looked online. Uh, I am now planning on trying to see if I can get a uh, jersey for his Belgian club because he is apparently close, if not already, striking struck a deal with uh, Belgian club. And I know it starts with Saint, and I'm not I'm, Saint Truden, I think. Yeah, Saint Truden, I think the name is. Uh, but it's uh, said it, in a it, weird Belgian accent, so it's probably something else. It's probably it probably is something else. But uh, they have, they, they, they have some pretty it. pretty cool looking yellow jerseys. I will say that. And uh, I've already I've already looked at how much it would cost uh, to get a uh, a jersey shipped from there. You, I'd have to order directly from Belgium, and it probably it would the jersey itself would be seventy. The customization would be. Uh, around 25 and then the shipping would be 20 euros so it's probably close to about 120 130 bucks <laughs> but I'm, 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 willing to, I'm willing to be willing to do it I, i've watched this kid you know I, I have a a unique uh position i guess for as a both a richmond kickers and a and a dc united fan in that i watched this kid uh grow up and um i i remember i still remember the moment and i'm, I'm gonna talk about this because we have nothing else really to talk about uh, i still remember the moment we watched them play um i think it was swansea i want to say i don't think it was when bradley was coaching i think bradley hadn't been given the position yet um and uh we it was a storm and we were raining out and uh a couple friends of mine uh, you know i, I kind of pay attention i was paying attention a little bit to the game you know and chris durkin was out there and got in the car you know under a rainstorm and they said man that and I, I can't remember what number he was wearing at the time but they said man that guy you know really was doing well he he completely shut out some random english player as john's uh video call is now flashing green and black for some reason uh, uh, <laughs> uh but uh and and then he, you know, I said, oh, yeah, that's Chris Durkin. He's like 16 years old. And they were completely shocked that he was 16. He was playing way above his weight, um, did a lot for that kickers team, uh, despite the fact that things were very, very much on the on the downward stretch. And uh, then he went to D.C. and I, I was kind of waiting for him to take off, uh, but didn't really happen. But um, it's nice to see he got his opportunity. Um, I believe one point four million dollars. 
uh, a little bit below the price tag, the initial $2 million, uh, but apparently uh, DC gets a little bit of a boost on the sell-on clause, which I believe is around 25%. Uh, so, you know, all in all, I think... It, I think it's a good deal for it's a good deal for Durkin. Number one, gets him in Europe, gets him where he needs to be. Um, I'll be very curious to see what type of national team interest maybe he gets. Uh, there's a certain player named Michael Bradley who's certainly ending the end of his time. I've always thought that Durkin has that ability to sort of be that defensive midfielder with the ability to play the pass or the long ball, almost like a Pirlo. Um, so I'll be very curious to see uh, how good he looks and whether maybe he gets uh, he he turns uh, Greg Berhalter's eye. Uh, maybe he's the he's the way to get me back into the U.S. men's national team. Uh, John, any any uh, any thoughts other than good deal for for Durkin, I guess, and uh, we can talk maybe a little bit about whether it's a good deal for DC. I just wanted the money, to be <laughs> honest. I think I think he's a I think he's a player um, that was still unlikely to feature. Um, I think if you can't kick Felipe Martins out of the lineup, then I I'll sell you. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Um, particularly when this team and all of MLS is going to be so cash strapped that they are, you know, they're running on a skeleton crew of three employees at the moment, or not really three, but it's very little. We've got a very tight, tight ship now. Uh, we're going to talk a bit, a little bit about what the, what the implications of all this are going to be for MLS players and their salaries for this year. But, um, I think it was the right time to do it. I think he, I think he, you know, the die was cast when he went there. He wanted, he's wanted to leave. He's wanted to stay in Europe. If this was a at all positive experience, he was going to be sold. Um, so I, I'm, it's, it was probably a fait accompli, but I'm glad they got the money that they got. I think that um, that's what we have to do. We have to, to, unless these players are paradigm shifting, always going to be in the starting 11. Um, you got to, you got to move them on for a little bit, you know, not, not wait to, to cash the big, uh, the big, you know, five, ten million dollars all the time. And I think what, what we've sort of seen DC do is sort of play that, play that, try to play that waiting game. Oh, you know, we'll sell him. We'll look to sell him next season, or you know, we'll look to that. You look at Bill Hamid. You look at uh, Perry Kitchen. A lot of those other players. I think this is going to be a a change. It's sort of been a change in, in MLS philosophy, and it's been a change in in sort of how how MLS sees itself, uh, not being that sort of league of choice and sort of encouraging teams to to sell players when they get the chance. Um, I believe it was it still kind of shocks me that this wasn't already the case. But I mean, uh, the 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 thing about that move is 1.4 million of that all 1.4 million goes directly into into DC United's coffers, so to speak. Uh, it doesn't go 25% to the league, 35% for something else, you know, then the, the rest goes to them. It's it's the full 100%, um, which is uh, which is good. And I think it shows... That's four XFL contracts or yes. four XFL deals. <laughs> <laughs> Almost makes up for that. So, I mean, I, I, I would not be surprised if there was a little bit of, you know, we need to make this move now. We need money now. Uh, we need to do something, you know, maybe this stems the tide a little bit. Uh, and I think it's also trying to do right by a player and really, you know, go ahead and just cash in on a guy and you still have that 25%, you know, clause. So if he plays really well in Belgium, catches the eye of a bigger club, and then he gets sold, you know, for, you know, $10 million, you're getting, you know, 25% of that. And that, you know, in, in that adds up, that starts to add up. That's another two and a half million out of that, uh, 2.5 million out of that. So that becomes, he turned a 1.4 million deal into a you know almost four million deal, um, four million dollar deal. So, uh, I I think in the end of the day it's the right move, and I think it's uh, I think it's a good move for the team and a good move for the club. So, and one day he can come back to MLS and skip us and go to LAFC like another certain uh, <laughs> former. <laughs> former European DC United export. Yeah, th there were some questions that popped up as to whether DC still retains his rights. Uh, D DC will not retain his rights. 
Um, once you sell a player, that's it. If they leave on a free and you made a, a quote-unquote bona fide offer, uh, even if it was, you know, three Chuck E. Cheese to- tokens, uh, you know, then... Uh, then that you, is an offer. Technically, <laughs> that is an offer. Technically, that, technically that is not. Of course, that doesn't, that doesn't happen in real life. But, you know, the idea is that, you know, if a player leaves on free, then yes, you still retain their rights. Um, that is not the case. You know, that's why Andy Nahar is out there training with LAFC. Uh, you know, LA, Andy Nahar would go through allocation. If things don't work out for Chris Durkin and he comes back, um, he will probably go through allocation. So it's, you know, the way it is. But it's good, it's good for Chris and, and I think good for them and, and good for the club to to sell a player because that helps, you know. I, I would not be surprised if maybe they struggled a little bit signing some guys with, you know, hey, you know, look at these guys that they kind of just held on to and then they walked on a free, you know. I don't know if this team's really ready to sell me, so um, we'll see. Uh, this is uh, a strange situation we're in right now, and I, you know who knows when soccer's going to be back. So hopefully speaking they can. Of, speaking of bona fide offers, Ted, did you watch the uh, any of the Jordan documentary last night? I did not. I did not know. Highly recommended, even if you're not really an NBA fan. I watched it. I loved it. Um, it's also very cool to have simultaneously experienced sport type events that are going on right now. Because we don't have that. And it's so funny, you know, watching that and watching Twitter react real time to it. I was like, oh, that's what that feels like. <laughs> I, I remember that. I remember when people used to do that. But the funny thing about the bona fide offer thing is I did not realize that Scottie Pippen signed a seven-year, $15 million contract and was making like $1.5 million towards the end of his career where Michael Jordan was making $50 million a season. <laughs> uh, and they were, and he was like, I think we need to renegotiate my deal and the owner, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, was like, I never renegotiate deals. I told him not to sign it when he signed it. So good luck to you, buddy. <laughs> so he was just – he was making like nothing. It was amazing. And he was at that time, you know, top top five players in, in, in the NBA in total. But anyway, he was making, he was making a that, great that, soundtrack and there's nothing else on. So what else are you going to do? Yeah, he was, making, he was making like an MLS TAM level contract right Seriously, there. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. Even accounting for inflation and everything else, it was still wild. Like everybody, the other, the, the great quote too was that he had the season before his last season, he had an ankle injury and he could have gotten surgery done during the summer, but he said, "I was not trying to f up my summer. I was, I'll just get the surgery in the season and they can wait." <laughs> so he just got the he got the surgery during training camp and was out for half a season. But it was a, uh, it was just it's an amusing it was an amusing thing. I think the next episode is the Dennis Robin episode. So. You know, if you don't watch any of the episodes, watch the first one next Sunday. I'd recommend it. Yeah, this is what to, happens. I, no soccer. It's, it diverse the, the podcast content diversifies. <laughs> I I guess I was kind of hoping. I, I I guess I didn't really watch it because I'm like, oh, well, I have ESPN Plus still, so you know, I'm still paying for that because I paid for the the whole Hulu mm-hmm. Disney Plus bundle bundle thing that they that they got me and got me in, and I assumed it would be there, but apparently it's not. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it will be at some point. Maybe once it's over, they'll they'll bring it in. I, I'm assuming they will. Netflix is a co-producing partner, so there might be something weird where it goes live and then gets dumped on a Netflix afterwards. I don't know. You'll yeah. see it somehow. It's good. It's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I um, definitely definitely want to check it out. I'm always good for like good like sports documentaries. I, I watch a lot of crazy like sports documentaries. I I, I really enjoy the movie um, Moneyball for some reason, and I'm not a baseball it, fan at all, but I enjoy that movie because um, I like the idea of like owners being and and coaches and stuff being smarter than everybody else. Um. Yeah, but uh, let's uh, speaking of money, uh, MLS uh, players apparently owners are are uh, owners have had kind of a rough go of this uh, in the media. Uh, we'll get we'll get to a conversation about Wayne Rooney, but apparently they are 
it's going back and forth whether they are proposing or they are demanding uh, that certain players take a 50% pay cut. Um, On top of prorating their salaries for what other game, whatever games do get played. Yeah. So if they play 15 games, they get a prorated amount plus the cut is the, is the, is the current conversation. Yeah. Um, it's not, <laughs> not good. And you can see the players. And also, I think the other thing, another thing interesting that was brought up is that the, the CBA, remember we all had that whole CBA negotiation, all every, everything's good. You know, we're going to sign it. Apparently like the, the final signatures actually have not been, have not been placed yet. Um, they had sort of a deal in principle and I, I would be, I, we might, I could see potentially now I, I, I had a little bit of a trouble. I think ESPN put out a video and it said like, you know, I think it said like MLS pay cut could lead to lockout and there, there's basically no, you know, no one's saying, yes, there's going to be a lockout or, you know, if MLS team, you know, we haven't heard any statements from the MLSPA. I think everybody's very much just trying, let's just get through this. Let's figure out how much soccer we're actually going to have in 2020. Before we, you know, start, you know, digging our heels in on this. Uh, but apparently it was a lot of sort of, per, you know, I mean, 50% is a lot. I mean, if I, someone, if my company said to me they need to cut 50% of my pay, I'd be like, uh, you know. Not a fan of that. No. <laughs> well, the, I, the thing, too, is I think if, if this drags on, which I think it will, if this drags on to July, early August, I think a lockout becomes a lot more sensible from the league's perspective because we could not pay them anything or <laughs> – we can we could continue to negotiate this. I mean, I, I think at a certain point the league has a stronger negotiating, uh, you know, angle here. So I'm I'm hoping that they, I do like that they are sort of insulating the players who are making less than a hundred thousand dollars, so their salaries would not be reduced. Um, so I think it's interesting that they put sort of a progressive angle on it there and saying like if you don't have the money, if you are, you know, whatever, we'll 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 fix it. But um, yeah. It, it's interesting to watch this. This is playing out all over the, all over the world. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, in England, basically the way it went was players were having conversations, according to them, sort of within their with privately within their own union about how much they were up. What would their plan was to either donate money or what? And the league basically said, uh, "We this is what we want. We want this amount." And then and then politicians basically started saying these greedy soccer players you know, have all this money and we're, you know, the NHS needs their money and what are they doing with it? Um, so that kind of blew up really quickly. That was the first Wayne Rooney quote, um, that came out a couple weeks ago, basically saying we want to give money. Um, we were going to give money and then you just blew this up out of nowhere and the politicians are just demagoguing basically. Uh, that was the first quote. I was like, man, I think Wayne's got a future in like, I don't know about labor politics, but he's certainly got a, he's got a future. He's, he definitely expresses himself on like things a little bit, outside of the game uh you know pretty coherently um but yeah this is this is not this is going to be the same for everybody unless you can figure out a way to play your game still be it you know empty stadiums there was conversation about doing like mini tournaments yeah. at the end of the year uh pushing the playoff <laughs> the the first thing was like oh we'll just push the playoffs the, the playoffs till december like that's the real problem the real problem here is uh like playing all of the games they were first they were adamant like we're gonna play all of these games we're gonna figure out and then it became uh you know the end of april and they're like ah well we still want to try but <laughs> it looks like we're not gonna get get going here until that, june that 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 is code for we're not getting the games in it's just it's right. just not happening um it's just, just to get all the but gather your pitchforks or whatever yeah. whatever's gonna happen there yeah and uh, they're still taking payments uh for for season tickets so i i a lot of people sort of reacting very, very strongly to that. 
um, which I can understand. I think there are a lot of people struggling and, and you definitely lost your job. Think about how yeah. you feel about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. hundred uh, percent. You know, but I, yeah, I, I don't know what the, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the, the there's going to be a lot of difficult things. I, there are going to be shoes that are going to drop from this that are not going to be pleasant. Um, and it's, it's going to happen with leagues. It's going to happen with, uh, I think there are going to be fans that if, and I think, you know, the teams have to be delicate about this, you know, we need, they quote unquote, they probably do need the money for the season tickets if they want to sort of keep things, keep things going. Um, but also, you know, you got to be causing it. Someone goes out and they buy their first year of season tickets. Hey, you know, and like, Hey, I can't wait. I'm excited to go to two games and then they'll get to see the rest of the season. And then you say, well, you know, we're not, you know, and this line and this thing that you sign says like we can do whatever we want basically. Right. You don't want to do that because they're like, oh well, screw that. I'm not no, next year. Forget it. Then I'm not doing this anymore. And you have long time people too are like, I lost my job and yeah, I can't do this anymore. So you know, even if they get it back, they're gonna be you know, it's 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 gonna be tough. And I, I'm not sure. I think right now everybody's still in I, still in kind of the well, you know, let's get through this. But you know and. And your life circumstance could change from year to year. Like last year, I could have a season ticket. This year, I can't. Mm-hmm. So there's probably people that are in the you know reverse element. I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, wouldn't it be crazy if they don't really play this season and we could have just kept our seats uh, where they were? Like we had to give up our, our exact seat location, so now they're just gone. But like if they only play two games a season somehow, <laughs> like we could have just – we could have wrote it out. I mean we, we would have kept paying, but at least we would have kept our seats. But anyway, yeah. the uh, – it's I, I think, too, you know, soccer is where we're focused, but there's going to be a reckoning overall in all professional sports at, with salaries. Right. I think yeah. that there's going to be some there's going to be some strikes and there's going to be some lockouts that happen at the end of this because people are not going to be going to these games for a while, for a long while, no matter what the government says. Um, that's just the case. And the salaries as they are structured in all of these leagues are in some leagues dependent on gate, dependent on that revenue that isn't going to be there the way it was and owners, you know, they're rich in some sports, they're super rich. Um, but they're not in, in other sports, they're highly leveraged and they don't have the cash flow that they need to support the salaries. If the revenue gate isn't there. So I think you're going to, the, the, the fallout from sports across the board due to this is going to really shake things up. It's not just going to be like everybody can now go out again and everything will be exactly the same ways it was before. And 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 one one interesting thing I want to bring up is, you know, in um in 2000 uh in 2008-9 when we had the huge financial crisis uh for the MLS actually seemed to have a growth period, an unbelievable growth period where they had a whole bunch of teams come in and they had expansion teams come in and and they were at the time a pretty cheap ticket. And I think that's what kind of allowed them to sort of keep themselves belly up and maybe not suffer as much as other leagues or other um, or other tickets. You know, a lot of other leagues they, they're relying on TV money, so people not going to the games doesn't really bother them because they're probably at home watching on TV or they're out at a bar somewhere. Um, MLS is still heavily, heavily reliant on ticket money and and seats and butts and seats and and everything. So um, I, I will be I will be very curious. Um, I'll be very curious to see, you know, because ticket prices are not the same. Uh, it cost me about eight, it cost about eighty ninety dollars for me to go to a uh, for two tickets, let's say, for between you know, uh, for me and my wife to go up to games. It used to be it cost me fifty. So you know that markup, you know, for other. I mean, for me right now, 
it wouldn't matter right now. I still have my job. I still have my income. You know, I could probably still go to the games, but I imagine it would be tougher on on for other people. So that, that's going to be for me an interesting thing to watch is what type of impact is this going to have? Because tickets at MLS are not as cheap as they used to be. They are much more expensive with these stadiums and everything. So um, we are, we are going to talk uh, some other big news, the DA uh, closing down. Uh, but we will get into that with Travis Clark's going to come on the show and talk about that. So we're going to talk to him. Um, anything else uh, do you think we need to talk on before we close it out and go to Travis? No, I think uh, – do you want to talk about the Wayne Rooney quote? Oh, yes. Yeah, let's let's do a couple minutes on that. Um, Wayne so, Rooney – go ahead. Go ahead. You, you, All right, you, I'll go. Wayne, go Wayne Rooney uh, was on uh, competing podcast Perfect Soccer, uh, Ask a Pro Show, uh, which is uh, Quincy Marquois, uh, you know, multimedia three, 720 uh, – 720 strategies or whatever the, whatever that thing was on Parks and Rec, all of the things that he has based on his his brand. He had a show, had his good buddy, former strike, uh, strike battery friend uh, Wayne Rooney uh, on his show. Uh, and basically talked – they talked about a lot of things, but the thing that garnered the most press was talking about how the owners are able to move players and trade players and do whatever they want, which to us – seems sort of second nature because of the fact that we're American sports fans. So that's just what we're used to. Uh, but the quote said, I didn't realize it before I got here, but obviously when I got here, I saw it. My first week we had a player who, when he was finished training, we got told he was getting transferred onto somewhere else. I was like, why what's going on here? Where is he going? What's going on? So it's difficult. I spoke to Birnbaum a lot. I was like, can you do that? Is that easy to do? Is it actually easy to move somebody on? There's no thought behind it in terms of this person might have a family, a ch- children, a life here. They get told, you know what, move on. I know that it works that way in the NBA and the NFL, but those players get paid millions and millions of pounds, so they look forward to have to do that, where MLS players can't. They probably get a small percentage of money, which won't even cover the bills, won't even cover what they have to live on. It's wrong. I think MLS needs to look at that. Blah, 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 blah. It might benefit. Uh, you know, For me, I was here for 18 months. Laton was there for two years. We benefited from getting good adaptation in the U.S., scoring some goals. But for the guys who you leave behind, which I've never gotten to speak to, it still sits wrong with me, deep inside of me, which I don't think is the case with all foreign players coming in. Wayne Rooney is 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 that dude. He is a good guy. And I think if Bob Foose ever gets fired, they should, Wayne Rooney should consider being the players, the players union rep uh, for going forward. Because uh, part part of that, right, like I think. Was that? Yeah. By the way, I, I was trying to think who that was, who that could be. I was thinking Kofi Opari was my thought. It was was it Kofi Opari or Patrick Mullins? Because I have your Patrick Mullins moving July eleventh, two thousand eighteen. So that would line that could up. Be right. Might, Kofi, might line up a little better. Kofi was dropped, I think. So it might, yeah. it might be it might be Mullins. Um, yeah, I mean, like that's not going away. Yeah, that is that is American sports. That is that is the deal. Um, could they provide more? assistance for the move maybe like more financial sort of consideration for having to uproot your life i know they probably have some relocation benefits and whatever uh but it's probably not enough and particularly if you're a young player it's probably definitely not enough and it's Um, it's certainly you know if you're living in you know you know nashville you know nashville tennessee and you get moved to la and you're making forty thousand dollars a year forty thousand goes a lot further in nashville i mean i I'm using Nashville just as a generic, you know, town or Columbus. Let's say Columbus. I'm sure is is probably cheaper to live uh, than in uh, than you know, you know, L.A. And you're moving to L.A. Forty thousand. You know, he, you know, his point was, you know, well, yes, I know what happens to other American sports, but these guys are getting paid millions of dollars. So you know, that money is going to travel a lot further, regardless of where you live. Uh, and, and it's a good point. And I, you know, I, I would say it's certainly better uh, than it, you know, than it, than it, than it was. I think more in this the salaries. Um, I, I think. 
it's not going away. It's it's never it's never going to go away. I think what you need to do is is there. I think the players' association they could fight that, um, but I think the players' association said, you know, let's get these players paid more. Let's get everybody paid more. So then it doesn't matter. You know, if you're traded to you know from Columbus to L.A., you know, you have enough money where you can live fairly comfortably in in L.A. or or wherever you want. So. Um, so yeah, so um, I guess uh, I, I mean that's really it. And yeah, I, I I'm not saying I don't disagree with what Rooney's saying. You know, I just it, it is what it is with American sports, and I, I think he's got a future. I think he's got a future as a, as a player association. It'd be interesting to see if he was uh, if he can get that brought in. All right, uh, I guess we're gonna go ahead and uh, we're gonna get Travis Clark on the show. But stick around. You're listening to the RFQ Refugees podcast. Welcome back to the RFU Refugees podcast. Ted here, John here, uh, joined by the very, very wonderful Travis Clark, uh, the Mel Kuyper of American soccer. I'm sorry. We're, that's, that's just what we're going to call you, man. It, it just exists. Uh, right here, for top, better, right, have, better here than Mel Kuyper, though. Yes. Better, yeah, much I mean, better. That's, that's fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys come up with those nicknames, <laughs> even if the relevance of the drafts and respective leagues are vastly different. It's fine. We we need we need a one to one, and right now that that's what it is. That's close about a one to close to one to one as we can get. Uh, ready for top drawer soccer, uh, Travis? Welcome to the show. Thanks for thanks for joining us. No problem. How you guys doing? Hanging, Hanging in, there. in there, trying to trying not to trying to get by without soccer. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys? What do you talk about on the show? I know I'm turning this in me interviewing you guys on your own show, but I, I like this. This is a new <laughs> format. I think we're gonna start having this as the format. Uh, what did we talk about? I think I talked about Scottie Pippen signing a really horrible contract in the early '90s for a little bit. Uh, so it's you know we're we're really we're we're scraping the barrel. I think we talked about Wayne Rooney talking to Quincy on his podcast. So really, it's a very meta look at what's going on in the universe right now. We did we did have yeah, Chris Sturkins transfer. At to least talk the about. U.S. Soccer Federation, um, you know, canceled their youth league, which gives people something to talk about. I guess and, right, which is why I'm here. A click boon to top drawer soccer, I'm sure. So uh, that's that's why we thought it would be great to have you on. Perhaps take yeah, it away. Yeah, it really or, was. I mean, really take was. Yeah. Uh, so let, let let's get into this. Uh, you know, I've uh, you know I've seen sort of seen around the youth soccer scene. Um, you know, being a referee, I've I've refereed some ECNL games. I know you've been that you've been out there. I've seen you out there. Uh, the U.S. Soccer uh, DA was kind of the. It was was this. I think to a lot of people, to people like us, maybe that are not, you know, week in and week out, you know, covering the game, talking with youth coaches, talking with people, it was sort of a surprise to all of us that this sort of happened. Was this necessarily when when this news dropped or when the sort of the first rumors started, uh, was this as big a surprise to you as it was to maybe to to other people? I would say less probably for me. It always seemed like the federation wanted to kind of back out, not back out, but create an alternative i don't know i'm not even sure what they were thinking and honestly it's really hard to know considering all the transparency we see coming out of soccer house which seems even less so nowadays but the the whispers sort of made sense and lined up and i guess the thing that surprised me is that the decision was made by two people so new in the sort of the power structure but everything seems to indicate that the decision was financially based so the idea that it's like a huge shock to me i guess isn't it's almost like it's on brand for the federation to like do do this while 
there's a global pandemic, right? Isn't is that we wrong of me to say? Maybe that's wrong of me to say, it's not, but it's not. like it lines up with the way they've acted over the past few years, and you know a lot of it is their own doing. Whether it was, I'm, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, right? But they launched the Girls Development Academy because they wanted you know equal opportunity, but they did it basically with the EC Nail Ted, as you mentioned, already existing, which was, you know, it, no youth league is perfect. No organization is going to not have its sort of pitfalls, but the EC Nail did a decent job of, you know, getting players onto the next level, which is for 99.9% college soccer. You know, it, things on the boys' side are different, but basically what the Federation did was try to do the same exact thing, but on the girls' side, where they said, you can't play high school, and you know everyone who they didn't do this to the same extent but every everyone in the wants to be in the youth national team pool needs to be in the girls da because now the whole reason that for the da is you know control over training environments a more appropriate game to you know ted you've you've, um, you've probably called like tournaments where you know teams are playing three games in two days like mm-hmm. which is a little bit ridiculous if you're talking about healthy player development i understand why it's done a little to an extent but um i'm not really sure where i'm going with this but the writing was kind of on the wall when you know mls had its own pinings to create a league even though i'm still skeptical about what we might see come up and then you know you throw a pandemic that cuts off revenue cuts off soccer and that kind of just is like the opportunity what i have been told is that Dan Flynn, before he left, was looking to do the same thing, but it never materialized before he left. And then, you know, Will Wilson steps in and sees this opportunity. I don't want to call it an opportunity. That's probably the wrong word, but they kind of used the break to make this decision pretty unilaterally from what I understand as well. It's not like they went around asking coaches what they thought about it. So, um, you know, we'll have to see where it goes from here what springs out of it i'm concerned to an extent because it's like well it's just going to be a really scattershot youth approach it's going to be even more scattershot and splintered or will there be a i don't even know what leadership u.s soccer can lean on after kind of pulling the plug on the da but it will uh it'll be interesting to see that's for sure it it does almost seem like the COVID-19 was a little bit of a, a convenient excuse and, and sort of what you're sort of describing probably maybe would have happened sort of after this year, or after this season, they would have said, you know, we can't keep doing this. Uh, the, I guess with how quickly MLS sort of stepped in, um, it almost seems like the, you know, they were, they, you know, and USL also founding, they founded their own uh, uh, youth Academy league. Uh, I believe they, they started one up and, um, so it almost seems like this was in the discussions and then, you know, the COVID-19 was kind of like, oh, you know, it's, it's because of this, this is why we have to do it now, so to speak. Yeah. And, and look, there's no, if they were to do it to sort of quote unquote normal circumstances, it's pretty hard because you need to start getting prepared pretty much as the season ends, the season goes into July. Like there's no easy way to do it, even though it could have been communicated and, executed in a much more i don't want to say efficient but just (laughs) organized like just get your ducks in a row a little bit and you know maybe have at least some kind of plan in place where you're not just casting a bunch of clubs and girls adrift you know you're being sued by the 
U.S. Women's National Team and you're letting basically making a decree where the girls at the you know at various ages from under what, 14 through under 19 now don't have any places to play. Yes, of course, there's time to figure all that out. But U.S. Soccer Federation just cut and run and said, all right, we're shutting it down. And that was that. Like the the statement that they put out didn't I – mean, it was like we, we don't know what the future is going to be like. But I'm like, we well, are the federation. Like you don't need to have it all mapped out. But <laughs> you should have at least some kind of an idea of how you want to – either set the guidelines for teams to develop players for either national team or higher level. Like you're supposed to grow soccer in America and you're, and I granted, I think the Federation was a little bit overstretched by what they were doing. I'm not sure how the budget hit was $9 million for it, but you know, you look at, and even what MLS put out, I don't know how closely you guys read the release that they put out. It was basically, Oh, we're doing something, but that was basically it. You could have said, oh, hey, we'll, we'll run a league, but we're just not quite sure. It was a couple of quotes, and but there was no details, nothing sketched out, which is, you know, everything I understand about that was they were not in the, in the know. This was not some grand, some federation conspiracy, even though MLS always, you know, pined to pull away from the DA. We... I'm super skeptical that they're going to spend even more money. Say like, say like there's some kind of mini league, right? Where, or not a mini league, but an all MLS Academy approach where you're only playing MLS teams. Just look at a map and that's going to cost millions of dollars across the league. There are enough teams that didn't want to have academies and don't want to have academies that it would be hard and problematic. So again, that's what makes it very interesting. We'll also just, kind of confounding and mystifying all simultaneously u.s soccer making friends and influencing <laughs> people as as is their as is their style so you're i, I you would you sound pretty bearish on uh mls being able to put something together the thing i had read that they were saying that mls teams would play these other teams that were basically um you know fugitives from a from a, from a <laughs> well so here's, so here's the thing to keep in mind when you're looking at that right you there's a lot of money a lot of travel costs so let's say you are an independent quote-unquote team right this this isn't the best example but it comes to mind because it's close bethesda sc here would you rather have a lot a a lot more control and input on how you play or what kind of league you play in b maybe a more ideal of regional travel costs that aren't too outlandish if you're playing teams you know sort of up and down the 95 quarter or do you kind of like bow to the whims of mls and what they say now you know you know granted that i'm making it very general and that's not like a great way to put it but i do think that the more collaboration that there's going to be in the space the better and that just is something that doesn't happen as often as maybe naive idealists like myself would like to see where we're all striving to make better players and push them to higher levels. It's just we're looking to make some money, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's hard to like marry the two at times, which is why you get to the MLS side of things where they can make money one day if they were developing players and putting them in positions, but it's going to be a lot of money up front. The issue that we have here is there's not a lot of revenue coming into soccer like there are 
in Europe where they can produce players like, you know, Germany slings, slings around Champions League money as sort of an incentive to help players be produced, not to mention the huge fees that the clubs get. Although, obviously, this all kind of goes out the window now with the COVID situation, the coronavirus, which will probably tank the European transfer market. But yep. I think MLS could be really well positioned if they're willing to throw some money at this and spend wisely. Like, you know, connect with your local clubs now. Look out for some even like small grassroots organizations that maybe you can prop up if your owner has deep pockets. Like there are literally teams that will go bust, you would think, because they're not bringing money in. So they're not playing soccer, right? So my five-year-old was supposed to play spring soccer. You know, that's a hundred bucks that the, like the, the, the small youth soccer organization here in Arlington, like doesn't get right. So although I let them keep the money, I was like, whatever. They should, I want them to. I want them to stay around. So, but you know, you get the point, right? Like, there's an opportunity if MLS has people still working. Who knows if they will? Um, I'm. I'm. Maybe I'm becoming a little bit too pessimistic here. But, you know, you look for opportunities, and I'm not saying cynically. Like, you build bridges. You look to because a lot of what's being talked about is doing under thirteen. Uh, sorry, under fifteen and under seventeen, making that that's focus, and then. When players either age out and say, oh, I don't think their future is professional, they'll either, you know, go to another club, maybe they'll play a little bit in the USL, but then the idea is then your USL is your, like, U18 through U23s, if you will. Like, that's the general outline I'm hearing. Again, that's a lot of money. I think if MLS started doing charter flights, it would make more sense, because then let's say DC's playing Chicago, you're on, you're on a charter flight, you bring your U15s, you bring your U17s. And you pop over to Chicago, you get your two youth games in beforehand, you keep your teams in the crowd, so then there's actual crowd. And, you know, that that's going to add up regardless, but I feel like, you know, that's better than booking. What? How many plane tickets would that be? Let's say you have 35 more players plus your traveling. You know, like you're, you're up to like 50 players on a – you're booking on – whatever airplane air, airline whatever airlines will exist after this <laughs> i was about to say mls should make a leverage <laughs> frontier so they can just uh you know they just have all their as, as shorter that way so, so i'm not i'm rambling on here but it's complicated and you know there's opportunities but it's also fraught with uncertainty sort of like life is right now <laughs> yeah it's a good metaphor i feel like too like in a world where mls is on really firm financial ground supposedly no, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm saying like, I don't buy that. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in a world where they where they were, you know, much, they had a better TV deal. All of their revenue wasn't or most of their revenue wasn't tied to game day, uh, you know, gate and all those things that and, and sort of some, sub, you know, supposition of their of their of their funds as well. That would have been great. I feel like they would have. I, I, that's the way I took it in the beginning of this. It's like this is going to be actually a real opportunity here uh, for for. For them to uh, both in the international transfer market, but also maybe maybe in this way too, but I'm I'm not certain of that. I feel like there's going to be a lot, you know, there's going to be a reckoning. We were talking about this before, just across sports in general, where you're going to think that some teams that were on firm grounds, their owners were highly leveraged and they don't have liquid capital to sort of yeah. make things work. And DC United is a good example for me, where it seems like this is a team leveraged to the hilt uh, with their construction projects, with you know. Jason Levy and Jason Levian's involved, but he doesn't have really deep pockets. He's not right. Yeah, like you think of like this is. I think a lot of like you know, Premier League clubs, and it varies from club to club. 
because then you have like you you run the gamut of like smaller owners even there they're trying to cut back on their expenses but then you have like the stan cronkies of the world that own it and who knows what his financial situation is like because obviously he's super wealthy but he's also building like a four billion dollar stadium that's now maybe not going to have games in the fall right so um yeah it's really it's really very curious and that's why i'm so skeptical of what i'm hearing and i'm like it sounds all very pie in the sky and how are you you know dan hunt was out in the media talking about the opportunity to sort of like invest in new soccer which is i think great and it's really a good idea but how rich are these owners and how much are they willing to put into this on the other side of it and who knows what that'll look like and if you're playing matches behind closed doors like you're not making game day revenue and you know so they should be investing in like drug treatments and vaccines at this point if they want to get their soccer money right <laughs> what are the odds what are the odds that dc united holdings incorporated put in for a ppp loan i feel like high I feel like high. less than 500 employees they might be eligible I will, be curious, I will scour the the books when those are made public i'm about to bet you yeah yeah the i mean you know it's i think the story came out already the federation has already done that so there you go then right sure there you go <laughs> Struggling small and, businessmen got to got, yeah, the, get their, their the organization that had 150 million cash in reserves two years ago is now on the they're in the breadline you know, slashing money and you know furloughing people and all that. So look, it's it's really hard to know. I think it's it's an interesting well, it's of course it's an interesting time. That's a stupidly obviously thing obvious thing to say, but within sort of this realm and the space when you're talking player development when you're talking future because you know one day ideally if western civilization doesn't collapse we'll have soccer again and you want to continue to produce players and develop them so i think mls and teams in the market could really and i'm not even saying that they make money off of it but they could really integrate themselves i think a lot of sports teams honestly could do that where you know you're rich owners you could help out and get some really good pr and connect with your community so it'd be interesting to see what what is invested in that because it's it's probably pretty hard to go to your owner as rich as they are in a lot of these markets soccer otherwise and say hey let's spend a lot of money now because that'll help us in the long run because there's a lot of uncertainty even in that even if it, i feel like it would be a success and especially when you're looking at this sort of nebulous idea of youth soccer and trying to position yourselves to basically when the players get to be a certain age they should automatically go to your team like, and is there going to be compensation for that? On the one hand, there maybe there should be. But then on the other hand, are these kids, when they're at 11, 12, 13, paying lots of money and fees? And, like, it's this whole, like, weird conversation that I feel like only exists in American soccer about, you know, the fees you pay. Because, uh, But I think that we're getting into a whole other realm of conversation as well. It, well, I, I wanted to maybe uh, not maybe – you jump head first into that, but maybe uh, dangle our feet into the water of, of that sort of conversation because I, I think there were there were a lot of things that the uh, that the USDA uh, put in um, as far as you know no high school 
you know, steering people, you know, steering kids away from college soccer, you know, steering them away from that, from that whole thing. I, I, had, I had a conversation with a, with a parent who was with the, the Richmond kick, whose son played for a little bit for the Richmond kickers uh, development Academy. And, you know, she was paying thousands and thousands of dollars. And she says, well, to be honest, I hated it because they were telling my kid not to go to college. And if I'm investing all this money, you know, in, in, mm-hmm. in this, you know, I, you know, he, he might turn out to be a, a, a super soccer star. He's a, he's a, talented player but you know i want to you know i don't want him to shut the door on college completely so i do you foresee maybe any sort of and there was also i think there were there were uh if i remember correctly there were like usda really like dialed down into how teams played and they wanted them to play a certain style Mm -hmm. they wanted them to to go about it a certain way do you see maybe you know any of that sort of any of those sort of criticisms like relaxing a little bit does that maybe get into what you're talking about you know more conversation rather than u.s soccer saying no we're going to do this this and this and if you, you can either you can take it or you can go somewhere else you know type type of attitude yeah i mean so it's it's interesting obviously um I think what we could see is maybe more of a, I don't want to say fracture or schism, but maybe a, a clearer delineation or tiering of leagues and talent where, and I'm talking specifically on the boys side too. I know that, I know that this is a DC United show, so we're probably not talking a lot of women's soccer, but just being clear, the, the, like the tiering of talent, if you were looking at MLS and, as your sort of pathway to the professional ranks. I think maybe some USL, some well-heeled USL championship. I don't want to even go to league one because I still feel like you're still, if you're playing in the USL league one affiliate Academy, you're still trying to play college ball. But I think that the MLS pathway will become more clearly defined as a pro. And like, you know, like I was kind of hinting at before where if you kind of cut off the U19s, and make that primarily like a function of a USL championship team, then there's a clear idea of say, okay, when I am playing for this team, you know, maybe at some point 16, 17 year olds will be told, I don't think we see a pro future for you here. And again, this goes back to like the whole point of networking and working with any community. You look for a place, a space, whether it's with college coaches or whether it's with a local club for a player to continue if they're on a relatively high level pathway so it's interesting to me that you would indicate that about a kid in richmond because i can't imagine a richmond's kicker contract being worth more than a college soccer opportunity and as you said um they're paying money for it although at some point i feel like richmond united is free am i wrong you remember? I, I do. I do not believe it is. I may. It's, I could be. At some point, it was for a couple of seasons. I don't know how long that land. It was like the the Ucrops. Is that Ucrops? Yeah, Rob. It's Rob Ucrop, the, and you know now they they've got some other owners in it. So I'm not sure. At some point, they were paying for that, but that my my brain is turned to mush after having kids. So <laughs> it could have been a few years ago. So you know those levels, like that's what most parents are doing at clubs, right? They're paying money to get their kids onto a platform that can be seen by college coaches and opening opportunities that way. So uh, I think there could be a clear separation of pathways. I think that kind of answers your question. But uh, uh, if, if I am if I haven't, then forgive me. But it's – again, it, it's, a way, it's the way that things could end up shaping out, and that's why it makes it harder to, for me to believe that a lot of these more independent teams could end up – playing sort of an quote-unquote MLS league where 
you know, you have two clear goals and they're very separate. How does that come together in a league? Because that was kind of one of the tensions that the Development Academy had created. Um, and then the other thing about, you had asked about the playing style sort of demands. That had been relaxed a little bit. Um, but again, you, if you're MLS and you're running this league, you want to have a certain level, a certain standard of play, right? And I don't think it necessarily has to be, you all have to play 4 3 3 play out of the back you can't play long like i think diversity can be good in player development because you know if you're a technical team playing out of the back you need to learn how to break down a more direct maybe like team that's sitting deep and playing like a 442 or a 451 like there should be variety one club coach said to me it's you know and this was at a non non mls non professional team it's like well we have kids that go play college at Georgetown and Maryland and like those are two a little bit different styles so we want our kids to play and we want to have the freedom in order to be able to teach our kid different kids on our you know one team that they can go play at these different schools and play soccer in different ways so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind and if I'm drawing this league up you know maybe I'm not thinking too much about college but that, that's a key part of player development that I don't say it's overlooked but it's worth considering and taking into consideration uh, one thing I did one one less sort of last thing I wanted to ask about uh, you, you didn't bring up sort of the you know we I feel like and this is you know I I don't want to say this is necessarily a good thing I, I don't think it's a good thing but you know we do focus a lot on sort of the boys side of the of the equation uh, you know the DAs existed for so long there it was only recently sort of um, established on the uh, on the girls side and, and sort of with the the U S women's national team I mean do you see I guess with you know, like you said, the you know the ECNL has been there for for years, um, and they've been a long established and, and uh, organization. And sort of U.S. Soccer sort of making a mandate for you to be considered for the women's team, you had to play, you know, the U.S. Uh, the USDA. I, I believe that was part of it as well. Uh, do yeah, you for the, play for the U.S. youth team. It, like the idea would, it wasn't totally uniform across the board, but it was becoming more and more clear that like DA players were getting scouted and chances for the full, the, the, like the under 17 and under 29, well, not under 20 cause they were in college, but under 17, under 15 national teams. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I jumped in your question. No, you're good. You're good. I'm glad you did. Cause this is, <laughs> I didn't, before I say something stupid, which I always do. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, uh, I guess my question sort of is, you know, with, with sort of the, you have the established ECNL kind of maybe a little bit, stronger, more established on the girls' side. I mean, do you see potential where maybe, you know, maybe the boys' side doesn't splinter as much because there's already, you know, they're welcoming all these clubs. Maybe they keep things kind of the same, you know, running it under the DA, you know, everything, you know, as a sort of different owners, but sort of similar to how the DAs run. But you could see the girls' program potentially maybe splintering maybe a little bit more. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I I, I, I probably should have done a little more research, but I, has MLS said that, they're going to do girls and and boys uh, academy teams. I think they've said that. Is that correct? So they, yeah, it was like one throwaway sentence in this press release they put out, and maybe Don Garber said it in a media somewhere. But I, I'm gonna be imagining that. But you know, it's it's, it's good to mention because the uh, there's a handful of MLS teams that run girls DA sides, San Jose Earthquakes, LA Galaxy, FC Dallas, to name a few. I think the Revolution. And, I think I coached uh, at the Jefferson Cup. I coached the uh, 
the revolution ran a ran a girls a girls like I don't know if they were academy level, but they were certainly higher up. They're not. I don't. I don't believe they were in the DA and Hyde events or like one of those regional affiliations. But I don't know 100. percent So I think that would be pretty difficult to pull off, even more so than like the hypothetical absorb absorbing of the boys DA like MLS side. So we'll have to see. Uh, I feel like it creates a boon. And a huge opportunity for the ECNL, right? Where they're, you know, snapping up all these teams. And I do know that there's another like sort of league that I've never heard of that apparently is going to be picking up some of these girls' DA teams. So um, I feel like splintering is more likely the outcome than it is everyone going to the girls' ECNL, which you know probably isn't the best outcome. But again, I don't know the ins and outs of everything, so I don't really want to. You know, rag on anyone or, or what have you. And I would say, Travis, if you have grown cynical with U.S. soccer or, or <laughs> youth soccer overall, I think it's well earned. I think it's uh, I think it's understandable. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on and talking about this. This is uh, I think it's a decision that will have ramifications farther down the line. I don't think we'll mm-hmm. see it quickly, but I think over overall in the long term we will. Uh, yeah, uh, and there's a, there's an opportunity for MLS here to to step in, but you know that. On in and of itself is fraught with peril and you know there's got to be willingness to collaborate which i it, it's not the most common site you see in the space i'll leave it at that so uh let's talk about where uh, where readers can find the in-depth articles on these type of things i think we may have mentioned them before but take it away yeah just check us out topdrawsoccer.com we would like to just thank the U.S. Soccer Federation for the huge surge in traffic last week is <laughs> much needed and much appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, special RFK Refugees promo code gets you 0% off uh, the annual and the monthly price. So make sure you actually uh, the promo code podcast will get you a subscription for 20% off for one, two or three years. So if you want to support us, if you have a little bit of money, and you're listening to this show, give it to Top for Soccer and not not you guys, right? Is that how I do it? If you just say podcast, <laughs> I feel like anybody can claim that. So just put podcast, podcast. And one of us, a podcast benefits. <laughs> Support podcasts in general. But thanks for coming on, Travis. We really appreciate it. No and, problem, uh, guys. Good and, luck. Yeah, thank in you. Your, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep on talking about Scotty Pippen salaries and whatnot uh, <laughs> over the course of the next coming months. Ted, do you want to just wrap it up? Wrap it up? Or? Yeah, but thank you so much to Travis, and uh, thank you all again so much for for listening and supporting us. We're we're trying our best here to fill the void, uh, the the canaverous black hole of no we're sports in the void. I don't think we're filling it; we're just embracing it. Just embracing it. Embrace it. Uh, we are listening to Arcade Refugees podcast, and we will catch you all uh, sometime in the future. Vamos. Vamos. Boy, I bet, cause I ain't met a lot of people who can do that yet. Trent said I'm...